this morning on stage was just a small uh, taste of what we enjoyed all week. And I'm so thankful to you parents who uh, gave us the privilege of serving with and connecting with your kids. They were uh, a joyful delight all week. And uh, what, what a great week. And I'm thankful for those who uh, partnered with us serving, praying, and giving to make VBS happen. It, it was uh, a, a wonderful week. Do you guys know, speaking of the joy of those kids, do you guys know that the scripture tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength? Did you know that? The joy of the Lord is your strength. The scripture actually goes so far as to say that if the Holy Spirit is leading in and living in your life, one of the evidences of that reality is your joy. Jesus said in John 15, 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Now, we know that the scripture also says Jesus was a man of sorrows. He, he faced a difficult life. We know how it ended. And so there were lots of challenges to being the Savior of the world, but fundamentally, Jesus lived with joy. And the amazing thing he says to us is, the same joy that he had, we can have. There is something about the words of Jesus and the presence of Jesus in our lives that is supposed to make us joyful now, here's the question. Are you joyful? Would your life be characterized by joy? Do you remember when Mary was pregnant with Jesus and she went to spend time with her aunt Elizabeth, who at the same time was pregnant with John the Baptist? And do you remember what happened when Mary walked in, obviously carrying Jesus? John the Baptist jumped for joy in his mother's womb. So joy, all-surpassing, completely consuming joy, is supposed to be associated with the name and the nearness of Jesus. And those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus are saying to the world, we walk with him. We have the nearness that should lead to joy. But, but I'm going to ask a question out loud today that has been through my mind, gone through my mind innumerable times. Where is it? Where's my joy? Where's your joy? Where's our joy? The body of Christ should be the most joyous group of people on planet Earth. And yet, sometimes we're characterized more by a sour disposition than by joy. When I reflect, play the tape back on many of my days, I realize that I make decisions all the time that reveal that my joy tank is at best running on fumes. When, when I'm frustrated, angry, resentful, overly selfish, it's a joy problem. 
I'm having a joy problem, but I'm not supposed to because the Psalms tell us that we should be people who sing for joy, shout with joy. We should be people who are crowned with joy, but I'll just be honest, often I am not. And so if the joy of the Lord is my strength, I'll just be honest with you and say, sometimes I have mono. What about you? Have you ever wondered where the joy of the Lord is in your life? As I was studying the the parables, we're going through a series on the parables of Jesus, these compelling stories that he told to, to help us understand what the kingdom of God is like and what we're supposed to be like. And, and as I was studying the parables that we're going to look at today, I realized that Jesus provides for us the key to joyful living. And, and we're going to talk about it, but before we get there, I think it's really important for us to understand what joy is. We need to be sure that we are on the same page regarding joy. Now, here's the truth from Scripture. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit of God. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit of God. That means that it comes from God and therefore it is a grace of God. We don't earn joy. We don't deserve it. It is produced on the branches of our lives when God's Spirit is exercising His influence in us. So we don't, we don't achieve joy through the sheer force of our will. We, we aren't more joyful because we decide to be or because we're striving to be. Joy is a byproduct of God's grace manifest in our lives. One way you can think about joy is that it's a lot like being in love. It, It doesn't just happen because we want it to or because we're trying, right? That's I don't think that's how being in love works. I know people who are in love with coconut. Any coconut lovers in the room? You guys love coconut? People who love coconut love coconut shrimp and coconut rice and coconut cake and coconut cookies and coconut cream pie. They love all things coconut. I'm not one of those people. Like, I'm not a coconut guy. I can't get there. When Nikki and I were, we first started in ministry, I uh, volunteered through our seminary to go out and uh, preach my first series of sermons in a small town called Quimby, Iowa. And the the idea was that I was supposed to to preach all week, and these were the first ones, and it was really nerve-wracking. But let me tell you how it worked. At, At night, they set up for us to go have dinner in the homes of the people in the church. And looking back, it appears that they decided that it would go from not bad to better, let's say good to great, okay? Each night, the meals progressively got better, and at the end of the week, we were in the home of the most celebrated cook in the church. And while we were, and it was really good, and while we were sitting there eating, they were like, save room, save room. She's, she's the best dessert maker we know about. She makes an award-winning blue ribbon, guess what, coconut pie. So for the last supper of our trip, I am just sitting there 
so excited to get to the coconut pie. Because here's what they tell you before you go out on these junkets. They say, eat whatever the people put in front of you. It's rude. You, you, you can't just, just eat it. Make it work. And so in that moment, when I found out what was coming, I wanted desperately to love coconut. I was trying to convince myself that I loved coconut, that I would be able to deal with this coconut problem, but I couldn't. I knew there was an inevitable collision coming between my gag reflex and her wonderful coconut pie. It was going to happen. And sure enough, at the end of the meal, I got the first and biggest piece. And so she walks it over, puts it on the plate. Nikki is sitting right beside me with this wry smile on her face like, what are you going to do now? And I broke out into a cold, sick sweat. But here's what I decided to do. I knew that I could say, hey, I'm about to go do a talk, so I can't eat all of this. So I cut it up with my fork into three big pieces. All right, And the first two pieces, I put in my mouth all the way to the back of my throat and swallowed it like it was Tylenol. I never tasted it, didn't chew it. Never tasted it. You can't make yourself love coconut. You can't manufacture a love for it any more than you can manufacture a joy for living. It's grace. It's the grace of God. Listen closely. There is nothing you can try and there is nothing you can buy that will provide joy for you. We don't earn joy any more than we earn the grace of God's salvation. As with all the benefits of God's grace, it's received from God by faith. That's where the grace of joy, that's where the grace of salvation comes from. If you, if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along as I read the parables today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. Now, if you're new to turning in your Bibles, Luke is the third book in the New Testament. It's about three-fifths of the way to the back of your Bible. So you can look it up on your phone. You can look it up in your Bible. Or we, as always, will have the Scripture on the screen for you. I'm going to guess that you've heard at least one of these stories, and if you've ever studied this passage of Scripture, I'm also going to hazard a guess that it wasn't for the purpose of finding out how to live with joy, but I believe this is some of Jesus' most insightful teaching on the subject. So we're going to begin by establishing the context that's really going to help us as we read. So Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, now the tax collectors, and by the way, they are the poster children for the repugnant in Scripture. Okay? The tax collectors and sinners. By the way, this is a book that calls all of us sinners. So if it calls anybody out as a group of sinners, these are true ragamuffins. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. They, they were drawn to him. But the religious leaders, 
the righteous among them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. What is he thinking? Now, here's what we have to note. These three stories that Jesus told were directed at those religious leaders, those people who were muttering, who had anything but joy. As a matter of fact, they were horrified that Jesus was actually cavorting with those ragamuffins. In their minds, in the minds of the religious elite, the righteous do not connect with the unrighteous, they correct them. In other words, they thought it was their job to point out how wrong everyone else is. Now, let me just ask you a question. When you decide to be judgmental and condemning of someone else's decision-making, how happy are you? How joyful is that task? It's burdensome. And yet those religious leaders who allegedly were connected with God and therefore should have been demonstrating joy missed it. They were angry that Jesus was doing what he was called to do. So Jesus said, hey, guys, listen, I'm going to tell you three stories. And these stories are going to help you understand God's heart for his children. Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 3. Then Jesus told them, I could be really angry about that. We're frustrated. But we have the words on the screen. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, what does he do? He joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls all his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Jesus said, I tell you, that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not believe themselves to need repentance. Story number two. Or, let's suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house, and search carefully in every nook and cranny until she finds it. And when she finds it, what does she do? She calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. Now, rejoicing is the act of being joyful. It is the byproduct of joy. Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued. There's one more story. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild 
living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. One day he woke up. He came to his senses. And he said, how how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to set out. And go back to my father and say to him, here's the speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son threw his arms around him, and kissed him. It's a full welcome. And the son started to give him the speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, by the way, he turned to his servants because he wasn't listening to the speech. He said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, There's a protagonist. The older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and and asked him, "What, what in the world is going on over there? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father's killed the fattened calf because he has your brother back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, join the party. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Now, rightly so, we have a tendency to focus on the searching part of these stories. And and we do that because they're so important. They're important because they remind us of just how significant people are to God. Not just some people, certainly not just the people who get it right, but all people. On one level, we have to understand that Jesus lived with so much joy while hanging out with these 'er ne'er-do-wells, these people of bad reputation, Because God takes great delight in showing them love. 
That's what he loves to do. He he loves to show people who are far from him, who may not even want to know him, he loves to show them his his love, how much he delights in them. And and guess what? The Bible tells us that we are all of us those people. We are sinners and we are lost without him. So he pursues us like lost sheep, like lost money, and lost children. He loves us so much that He sent His Son Jesus to find us. You know what Jesus said when He was asked, what's your purpose? What's your mission? He said, the Son of Man, talking about Himself, came to seek and save the lost. The Son of Man came to search for and rescue that which was lost. That was his job. That's why he stepped out of eternity. When the time was right, the scripture says, Jesus stepped out of eternity and into time, taking the very nature of a servant because he was going to serve the cause of the lost. The obvious point of this passage is that there is great rejoicing in heaven when one sinner is found, when one person who was lost comes to Christ. It's the lost being found, it's sinners becoming saints that God dreams of and celebrates, and that's why He went to such great lengths to search us out and grace us with His forgiveness. That's what Christ came to give. And and that is perhaps the, the first most obvious, maybe the most important point of all these parables. But on another deeper level, where I I want you to go today, Jesus is saying that if those of us who have already had our party in heaven, those of us who have been saved, found by Christ, If we want to live with joy, then we need to join the party that he's throwing for others. Remember, the father went out to the older son and begged him to come join the party. Why? Because that's where he would find his joy. That's where Jesus found his joy. And when Jesus' joy is ours, our joy is complete. Now, here's the bottom line truth about God's joy then and God's joy today. It is found in the process of graciously loving the people Jesus loved. That's where we find joy. When when Jesus was hanging out with the outcast of society, you know what he was doing? He was fulfilling his purpose. He was seizing his divine moment. This, that is why he came. And while he was doing that, he was joyful. By the way, that's why outcasts, that's why those who were committed to sin didn't run from Jesus. Because His joy was overflowing. And it was contagious. 
and it drew them in. Now, what Jesus understood about himself, we need to understand about ourselves. Joy is found in the path of God's purpose. Jesus had real joy. It was the reason that those who were most unlike him wanted to be around him. Now, I'm going to say this. I know you know this, but I need to point out the obvious here. Jesus' joy was not established through the attainment of perfection. Okay, you guys know Jesus was perfect, right? Born sinless, lived without sin, never sinned, didn't have a bad thought, bad deed. He, he didn't leave any trash on the ground. He picked it all up. He did everything just right. He was perfect. And we think, you know, if I got it all right, I would be really happy. I'd be really joyful. Wrong. The Pharisees tried it. The religious leaders Perfect, they thought. But joy is not found in the attainment of perfection. It's in the pursuit of purpose. It's in seeking and saving the lost. That's where Jesus found it. And by the way, when we join that mission, that's where we find it. The religious leaders were joyless and angry because of Jesus' pursuit because they had it backwards. They wanted to demonstrate how good they were, not how loving they were. And remember, it's in loving people the way Jesus loved them that we find our joy. Sometimes I wonder if my joy deficit, if your joy deficit is because we think more like the religious leaders than we think like Jesus. I've got to get it all right. And then I'll be all right. It's not the way it works, thankfully. And that's Jesus' point. Now, I want you to think through how he made this point. He first proposes a scenario to the people that are around in, in which they could all relate. Let's say you own a hundred sheep. What would happen if one got lost, if one just wandered away from the flock? Well, obviously, you would leave the 99 behind and go chase it down. And, and, and when you find it, you would joyfully take it back to the rest, and then you would call all your shepherd friends and say, hey, come on over, let's celebrate, because I, I found that, y'all know I was worried about that sheep. I mean, I didn't know where, I found him. Let's have a party. And, and all the religious leaders, everybody there, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Sure. And then he took it to the next level, and he said, there, there's a woman who's probably a widow, whose future was limited to 10 silver coins. It was her life savings. And she lost one. And so she frantically begins searching every nook and cranny in her home for it. And, and she finally finds it. And when she does, she calls all of her friends and neighbors over to celebrate. And the whole crowd knows that they would go join her because this was a big deal. And so all the people listening to Jesus, they're getting comfortable now. They're like, yeah, okay, we, we get it. And Jesus says, oh, by the way, God's the same way. 
This is the way God celebrates. In both parables, there is rejoicing. Everyone in the story has joy. And everyone listening can understand why. The woman finds her future. The shepherd finds his heart. And then there's one, there's one more story. It, it, it's got a strange twist at the end, to be honest with you. Jesus introduces a protagonist in this story, someone who's not willing to go along with everyone else's joy. He's not happy about reconciliation and restoration. There's, there's a brother who actually ominously looks onto the scene, seething with anger. It's, it's the story of the prodigal son. He leaves selfishly, sinfully, in rebellion. But then he wakes up. And he wants to come home to the father. And, and the father is thrilled to have his lost son, the son that he presumed was dead. He's thrilled to have him home. And so he spares no expense to throw a huge celebration. Everyone joins in, almost. It's... It's just that older, colder brother who really can't find any joy for his dad or his brother. See, there, there were two opportunities for joy, right? His dad found his lost son. And his lost son was restored. But he can find no joy because he's too busy being angry about it. What's his problem? What's going on there? Well, he, he has no joy because he didn't share his father's heart and he wasn't sharing in his father's work. Remember, joy is a grace that comes from the presence of God. And so if he wanted to experience joy, he needed to be looking at the situation the way his father looked at it and doing what his father was doing about it. He did not share his father's heart. You know, I, I would argue, because he spent every day with his father, he was always there. I would argue that he understood the grief of his father. He knew his dad was hurting and that he longed for his son to return but I don't think the older brother could figure out why. Because the logical thing to do was to look at the actions of his little brother and say, you are dead to me. You made your bed and you're going to lie on it. He, that rebel didn't deserve that family. So... He closed his heart off to his little brother. And you know what he did? He just went to work building back the fortune that the little brother lost. He, he never even tried to have mercy in his heart for his brother because he didn't share his father's heart of compassion. 
And since he didn't share his father's heart, he certainly wasn't going to share in his father's work. You know what his father's work was? Every morning he got up, sat on the front porch, and looked out across his property, hoping, hoping to see his son come home. And one day, he looked and saw the familiar gait of his youngest son coming up the drive. He found him because he was looking for him. That was his job. The, the older brother was so busy with doing what had to be done, with keeping all the rules, checking his list off about managing the farm, that he, he didn't even notice that the brother had returned. He wasn't looking for him. He hadn't joined the father in that great work. And because he didn't share his father's heart and he didn't share in his father's work, he couldn't share in the grace of his father's joy at the return of his little brother. Now, I think the same thing that prevented the older son from having joy prevents us from being joyful as well. We become so jaded so self-consumed, distracted building our own kingdoms that we miss the opportunities to demonstrate the Father's heart of compassion to those who need it the most. That, that we, we work so hard to build our kingdoms that we, we don't join our Heavenly Father's work in building His kingdom. And since we don't share his heart of compassion and we don't share in the work of search and rescue, guess what? We aren't in his presence and we don't experience his joy. We miss it. The older son had no joy because he only ever thought about himself. And how his brother's sin affected his life. Not how it affected the father or the little brother. So the question is, how do we get to the place that we have the heart of God? We're sharing his heart and sharing his work. The answer is found in verses 31 and 32 as Jesus wraps up this parable. The dad rushes out to the son who's seething with anger, and he says, My son, you're always with me. You're not lost. You've been here all along. And so everything I have is yours. But listen, we had to celebrate and be glad because this, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Listen, the, the key to joy comes from understanding that everything the Father has, His passion, His desire, His love for others, it's ours. If, if you're a follower of Jesus, 
all those graces belong to you because we got it all when we placed our faith in Jesus Christ. And so it's all available. We just have to cooperate with His plan to receive it. What the Father was intimating to Him was, Son, all you had to do was ask. All you had to do was ask. Ask me for joy and I'll give it to you. Ask me for a goat to celebrate with your friends. It's yours. Everything I have is yours. And I think God is saying to us, everything he has is ours. It's available. He will grace us with it. If we approach him by faith. If, if you aren't a follower of Jesus, here, here's what I want you to hear about those stories. Jesus came searching for you. The Bible tells us that because we are sinners, we are lost, stumbling around in darkness. But God has no desire for us to stay lost. That's why Jesus stepped out of eternity and into time to seek and save the lost. So we could be found. And he did live a perfect life. And he died a brutal, horrible death on the cross. To forgive us of our sins so he could welcome us back home. And it's not about the speech you want to make to God. I'm so sorry. It's not, about, it's not about what you've been doing or what you're going to do. It's just what the prodigal did. Just start moving in that direction. And God meets you with his grace and will change your life. It's by God's grace through our faith that we are found that we have salvation. And for those of us who have been found, for those of us who have had the party thrown for us in heaven, if you want to walk in joy, the grace of God's joy, then accept the Father's heart and join the Father's work. That's the source of our joy. Will you bow your heads with me? As we close, I just want you to be honest about where you are. Or have you come to the place where, where you've trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins so you could be a part of that great heavenly celebration? Here's the truth. That joy begins with Jesus. It begins when we place our faith in Him so we can have a relationship with God whose joy is our strength. Listen, Jesus came, lived, died, was raised from the dead for you. He was searching for you. Because God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in that Amazing grace will be found. 
Maybe you're in the room today and you need to place your faith in Jesus or you're watching online and and you're not a part of God's family. There's no better day than this one to open your heart to the grace of the one who's searching desperately for you. For those of us who've had the party, his joy is available. We position ourselves to receive the grace of joy when we share his heart and share in his work. I want to challenge you, not just now, but as you go this week and as you're playing the tape back on your day and and evaluating your decision making, I I want to challenge you to be honest about your joy quotient. Does your joy prove the nearness of Jesus in your life? Father, thank you for sending your son to seek and save us from being lost. We are so grateful for the life we have in Jesus. And Father, thank you for the promise that the joy that Jesus walked with can be ours. Help us not to be confused about it just meaning that we're happy or we're getting what we want, but it's living in the center of the purpose, doing the good works for which you created us, where we experience the easy rhythms of your grace, of your joy. Father, I pray that your joy would be our strength. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Let's sing this out. Almighty fortress.